Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Basically, what he's saying is, God's held out on you. You can know more. You can be an authority. You can decide for yourself, like God, what's right or wrong. Here's a great stab of wisdom right from the beginning of the series. Remind ourselves we're not God. You and I are not the great I am. You say, Pastor Mark, that's a stupid statement to write. No, the greatest idol in your life and my life is me, thinking I have the answers. I bow down to me. No, never. There are lots of gods that can be worshipped today. Money, power, fame, celebrity, and many, many others. Ultimately, though, the worship and pursuit of these things really are about the attempt to make yourself God. Pastor Mark will teach about the origin of this way of thinking. You'll hear the lies and deceptions that had to happen for this self-worship to begin. You'll be reminded about the breathtaking amount of power you have to either serve God or to serve Satan under the guise of doing your own thing. You'll learn that there's a way out of that trap of serving yourself rather than serving God. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Here's Pastor Mark in Acts chapter 9 as he continues his message, The Great I Am's. Know Him, submit to Him, obey Him, enjoy Him, worship Him. Now, Genesis 2.15, you know this, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, here's a four-letter word, to work it and take care of it. Maybe Adam said to God, what lawn service do you have taking care of the garden? Is there somebody coming to trim the trees? Who's fertilizing these plants? This is huge. No. What happened? Remember what Paul said? What do you want me to do? So here's more instruction. Man was commanded to work. Now this is huge. Work was commanded before sin. Lots of people say, I have to work. I have to go to work today. It's a curse of sin. No, it isn't a curse of sin. It was commanded before there was sin. You're designed to work. I'm designed to work. And so that's why we tell you often, retirement or whatever, you can retire, but you're never supposed to stop working. We're always to be creative. We're always to be active. We're always to be witnesses. We're always to be disciples. None of that ever stops. So notice, Ecclesiastes says this. Even so, I've noticed one thing. At least that is good. It's good for people to eat and drink. We like that. And to enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them. To accept their lot in life. 
So work is actually a good thing. Work in paradise sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. Work was a sign before the fall. What's our attitude to be about work? First Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So the next time on a Monday morning you go up and go, oh man. Okay, God, I'm sorry. Why should you feel that way? With the unemployment figures, you should be thankful you have a job. There's plenty of people looking for that that don't have it. Now, Ecclesiastes 9 also says this, whatever you do, do well. And when you go to the grave, there'll be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. So here's the second thing. And sometimes we all miss out on this. I've been in the workforce since I was 12 years old, doing all kinds of things and mowing lawns and printing things, you know, as kids did in those days. Work gives us a sense of responsibility and accomplishment. And I want to challenge you with one more thing, because sometimes we never think about this. When God placed you in your neighborhood or in your housing area, the apartment complex you're in, or where he placed you at work, he didn't do it just for the money and just for the work. He did it that you would be light and salt in all of those places. And many times we we say, but man, God's put me here with these people that don't know God. Hello. That's why you're there. Remember, after Matthew came to the Lord. What's the first thing Jesus did? Goes to a party with a bunch of sinners. And the religious people said, what's he doing in there? Well, that's where he wanted to go. That's where we're supposed to be. He didn't come for the, the healthy. He came for those who are sick. So your workplace is a great place to live like you should, to work like you should. We should be the best employees that the company has. They can count on you. Because we're representing God. Whatever you do, do well. So remember, it's a blessing. By the way, Proverbs has something else to say about it. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. So we have the pleasure of being self-motivated. Not because I have to, but because we can take the initiative to go to work. Now look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good or evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. I knew it, Pastor Mark. I knew this great I am was too good to be true. He gave a command. He held something back. Really? How big was the Garden of Eden? Well, we don't really know, but there was four rivers surrounding it. So I'd say there was probably more than two trees there, wouldn't you? So let's say there's a thousand trees. And he says, I'm telling you, just don't go to that one. I knew it. That's a stingy God. That's foolishness. By the way, later, Satan's going to use that. The great I am is not a stingy God. We already decided he wanted to bless us. So notice, this is the first law. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Physically, later, spiritually, instantly. So this is the first law. You say, well, Pastor Mark, I don't know why I should believe that. Who is God to command, don't touch this tree? You can have any other tree. 
Well, because he's your creator. Same principle. He makes the rules, if you want to say it like that. Does he have the right to make the rules? Yes, he does. Does he know how to make the rules? Perfectly. Why did God give laws? Well, to keep us from being free. Exactly the opposite. To free us. Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but one. Why can't I commit adultery? There's freedom in that. No, there's bondage in that. It will destroy your marriage and your children. God never gave us the laws to inhibit us. He gave them to protect us. And usually from ourselves. Now notice, how many commands? How many commands so far? One. One no. One no. Was the word that God gave to Adam and Eve truth? Yes, it was. You can write this. God's word to Adam and Eve was absolute truth. Would they find that out? <laughs> you and I found it out, haven't we? Choose to sin, choose to suffer. So God created man, and some of you, and it's a great question, because I, when I was younger, I used to question this all the time, couldn't figure it out. Why did God make man knowing that he would sin? By the way, did God know that Adam and Eve would sin? Yes. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. There was already a pan in place. Well, he made us because he wanted to have fellowship with us. It wasn't even that he was lacking. He wanted to have fellowship with us. And when you want to have a relationship with someone, you don't do it because they have to come over to your house for dinner. They have to say hello to you. They do it because they want to. So understand, God created us with that soul part. Body, soul. Soul, mind, will, options, choices. So what does God say? You can choose to what? Obey me? Or you can choose to disobey me. They could try to choose to do life independently. But God said to them, if you do it, here's what's going to happen. Pretty clear. Would they recognize... Who God is and what he commands, is it really true? Well, with the free will comes the option to do what? Disobey. And that's exactly what you're going to see happen. Now take a look at, in chapter 3, we come up with the answer. His name is Satan. But I want you to go to Isaiah 14 for just a moment. And I want you to see who comes. And we'll sneak right through it quickly. When we come to... Genesis 3, we find that Satan comes into the garden and he is now the ruler of the earth and he begins to talk to Eve. Now, she didn't know this, but notice this nature that you're going to see how in the world this created being became such an arch enemy of us. Satan, the world system, and our old flesh. Verse 12 in Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, notice the I wills. I will. 
ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly or on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So here we see that there was a free will of the angels created in heaven, just like man who was created by God had a free will. God didn't want forced worship even in heaven. And so this created will by Satan simply meant that he wanted to be God. He didn't like to be the worship leader. He wanted people worshiping him. You see that in the first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Same issue. So Satan wanted to be the great I am. God said, really? Okay, you're out of here. And with him went one-third of the angels who now become the demons. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And look at verse 1 quickly. Now the serpent was more crafty. More crafty. Now the words clever and wise. Than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman. Did God really say. You must not eat from the tree in the garden. So where does he go first? He goes right for Eve's mind. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says this, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So this deception that Eve had, Paul was worried that that deception would walk right into the church. And of course it did. So I noticed there's something very else important. Sometimes we forget that the Bible just collaborates itself one with the other. Just look at verse 3 again. Would you say that Paul believed in the creation? How far back does Paul go? To who? Eve. How many people were in creation? Adam and... So what does Paul believe? Does he believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Yes, he does. What do many biblical scholars say? The first 11 chapters of Genesis is myth. Paul, a biblical scholar, did he believe it was a myth? No, he did not. See, sometimes just the little nuances we miss. Paul absolutely believed. He knew the story. He believed it. So I think it's important for us to understand that. So what was Paul saying? What was the struggle? What was Satan trying to do? He was after our mind. The battle is always in our mind. And he goes right there. Notice, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. As a man thinks, so he becomes. We become like those who we hang with. Who is Eve hanging with? Satan. Who's she listening to? Satan. What is he? He's a liar. Now, how do we renew our mind? How do we think properly? Don't let it squeeze you into that, but think the way God thinks. How do I think the way God thinks? Well, Eve should have went back and said, well, no, what you said is not right. I can't touch that tree. I can't even think about it. I'm not going to get near the tree. I'm not going to eat from it. I'm away from it. But she doesn't go back to the scripture. She begins in a conversation with Satan. Now remember what he does. The only thing that can renew my mind is the word of God. Had Eve had the word of God? Yes, she had the word of God. Be fruitful and multiply. And here's the trees. Have all of it, but not this one. 
She had the word of God. Now, notice what's happening. Satan immediately attacks God's words. He always attacks God's words. So we don't want to doubt it. We don't want to deny it. We don't want to dilute it. We don't want to distort God's word. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And now she adds to the word, God never said this, you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4. What would you call verse 4? You will not surely die. What would you call that? You call that a lie. Well, what is Satan known as? A great liar. Now, she should have known that. So here's a question I'm going to ask you as we go through the series. Can you trust the great I am? Yes, you can. Is the great I am's words trustworthy? Absolutely. I saw a video today. The girl says, the reason I'm an atheist and agnostic is because I don't go for this false guilt that someday I'll end up in hell if I don't believe in a God. Well, where's the battle been? It's right here. Another sign I saw today with this new thing coming out. I think that's why I'm an atheist. Really? I'd like to have a sign next to him, except I'd probably be smaller than him and got beat up. <laughs> what does God say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What kind of a fool? A thinking fool. Can you prove God by your thinking? No, you can only prove God by what? Taking steps of faith. Okay? Now, there he is. Verse 5. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. There's truth to that. And you will be like God. Well, a little bit of truth, knowing good and evil. Basically, what he's saying is, God's held out on you. You can know more. You can be an authority. You can decide for yourself, like God, what's right or wrong. Here's a great stab of wisdom right from the beginning of the series. Remind ourselves we're not God. You and I are not the great I am. I say, Pastor Mark, that's a stupid statement to write. No, the greatest idol in your life and my life is me. Thinking I have the answers. I bow down to me. No, never. So we already know the history. We don't need to go there. What did we discover with the history? Adam and Eve, because they chose to disobey, they rebelled against God and his word. The next thing we discovered that they run and hide. Now, God was created. The great I am came to the garden to fellowship with them, to talk with them, to guide them, to be around them. They could enjoy the whole place. Because of sin, they're running and they're hiding. Guilt causes us to run from God. So what is the great I am going to do? He's going to go after them. And we know in the scripture, God goes after them. And he basically says this, Adam, where are you? Now, some of you might think, well, God couldn't find him? No, God didn't say that for God's sake. God's all-knowing. Who sake did he say it for? For Adam to go, oh, I know where I'm at. <laughs> well, where are you at? I'm in a mess. <laughs> I'm naked. Next thing God said was, 
How do you know you're naked? Well, I know I'm naked. It wasn't a problem before. It's a problem now. See, if you think great I am is the God that said this, where are you, Adam? You have the wrong concept of God. Galatians 6 reminds us that God always wants to restore us. Is there the wrath of God? Yes, there is the wrath of God. It is definitely coming. Why? Because God's holy. There is a day of judgment coming. They're judged here. But there's a final day of judgment coming. And hypocrites in the church will be one of the worst. Jesus said to those people in Matthew 7, I never knew you. You sat in the church all these years. I never had a personal relationship. Depart from me. That's, that's the wrath. Separation from God forever and hell. So we don't take God lightly. But the great I am is a God of grace and mercy. He makes the first move to go after Adam and Eve. And because they had tried to clothe themselves, we always try to clothe ourselves. And not only we do that, we always, as you know from the story, try to make excuses for why we did it. But the old song, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You and I will never progress in our walk with God when he convicts us if we try to make excuses. Just admit it, confess it, change, and be real. So what does God do? The ultimate thing God does? He kills an animal or two. And he clothes Adam and Eve. When you kill an animal, what do you have to do to it? You shed its blood. It was the picture of salvation. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. I want you to write this next statement out. I came across it recently. I heard somebody say it. I loved it. I didn't say it, but I think it's really good. You win or lose by the way you choose. See, choice is huge. And we know what to do is right. And Satan knows what to do is wrong. He's a great deceiver. When I do the class on character here in our leadership class, I always say this. Do the right thing. Learn to submit to the leaders. Learn to submit to God. Book of Hebrews says for you guys to submit to the leaders of this church. As long as we're godly. I learned to submit to God, to the elders. Do the right thing. So every time we obey, which is the right thing, we win. Every time we disobey, we lose. Today, Pastor Mark taught about God's original plan for men and women. He told you how work was created before sin came into the world. He talked about how sin ruined all of the plans that God had for man. You were reminded that God's not just the creator, but he's your creator. You were told again that God's out to bless you. He's not out to get you. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian, and Vieira. 
All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. This wraps up Pastor Mark's first teaching in the Great I Am series. Next time, he'll begin a new message called The Great I Am Has a Plan for Your Life. You'll hear the story of Abram and how God called him from a pagan lifestyle to serve him. You'll hear about the challenges that Abram faced while trying to figure out this whole serving God thing and how you can relate to the struggles he had. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. In a herd